you know, maybe in the heart of men beats this thing where we don't want things to be easy and don't want things to be spoon fed to us and don't want this six to eight week easy training plan to get back in shape. We actually want to earn it. Welcome to another episode of Success Through Failure. This is your host, Jim Harshaw Jr. And today I bring you Dave Redding. Do you feel out of balance in your life, like your family and your work are your priorities, but like you're always shortchanging one or the other? Do you feel like you're going 100 miles an hour every day, getting 100 things done, but you don't feel like you're ever really moving the needle? Or maybe you feel like you want to be more consistent, more focused. Do you want to figure out what the right goals are for you? I know the feeling. I have a wife and four kids, a business, rental property, not to mention the inevitable challenges that pop up in life like cars breaking down or kids getting sick or work getting busy. But when I was a Division I All-American wrestler, I was focused. I was consistent. I knew what my goals were, and I had a plan to get there. But when I got into the real world, things got complex. Everything seemed to be a priority. I ended up with a failed business, dead up to my eyeballs, in the worst physical shape of my life, and I knew I wasn't showing up as the husband and father that I should have been. That's when I realized that there was a framework in my life that I used when I was one of the top wrestlers in the country. And I realized that top performing CEOs and Navy SEALs and New York Times bestselling authors, you name it, used the same secret formula to get more done in less time and to maximize their potential and live a life of purpose and impact. If you want to know what that system is and how to apply it to your unique situation in life, I've opened up a few spots on my calendar for a free 30-minute clarity calls so that you can learn this system too. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash apply. That's jimharshawjr.com slash apply. If you'd rather me just text you that link, send me a text at this number. I'm going to say this three times. Are you ready? 571-210-5450. Again, that number, 571-210-5450. Send me a text and I'll text you that link. Again, that's 571 571- 210-5450. I look forward to talking to you. Dave Redding, otherwise known as Dread in F3. Well, what the heck is F3? F3 is a men's workout group. It's way more than that, though. This is something that I've been part of for a couple of years, just over two years now. Actually, it'll be two years anniversary today, come to think of it. As I record this, it just hit me after my interview with him is the anniversary of my first day working out with F3. F3 stands for Fitness Fellowship and Faith. Here's how I can best describe it. I'm going to read this. Every morning before the sun comes up, on school and church campuses, in public parks and parking lots, thousands of men gather to work out under the banner of F3 Nation. The workouts are simple, no gimmicks, trends or fancy gear, and participants take turns leading. No one pays a dollar, yet every man involved will tell you that F3 keeps him in the best shape of his adult life. In his book, Freed to Lead, the F3 co-founders, Dread and OBT, now these are their nicknames. Everybody in F3 gets a nickname. Mine is Grappler. Most people don't even know my real name in F3. But in this book, they tell the story of how F3 began on New Year's Day 2011 in Charlotte, North Carolina at a middle school and how its dramatic growth showed that they had launched something more than just a workout group. Now, a couple of notes from my interview that you're about to listen to right now. The lessons that he shares go way beyond F3. If you're not into fitness, if you're not into joining this, maybe you're already into CrossFit, maybe you already have your own workout, or maybe you don't like to work out, maybe you think it's the worst thing in the world. It doesn't matter. He shares leadership lessons in this organization that he's created totally free. He doesn't make a dime from this, totally volunteer. And this thing has spread 
all across the country, but there are amazing leadership lessons here. Uh, he talks about having a mission and he talks about how, how he learned through failure and, and these sort of parables of failure that he uses to teach others. Absolutely incredible interview, absolutely incredible organization that is so mission-driven that it has just exploded. And if you're part of any organization, whether you're a parent, you're a teacher, you're a coach, you're a leader in a company, you're an entrepreneur, you're going to gain so much valuable insight into how to lead people, how to create a cause, and how to make it spread. So without further ado, my interview with Dredd, I call him by his regular name, which is Dave, but his uh, F3 name is Dredd, and that's what uh, all the F3 folks who work out with him know him as. But anyway, let's get into my conversation with Dave Redding. Dave, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I've been uh, I, I've known you for quite a long time, uh, just from afar, having been a member and, and a part of F3 for the last couple of years. It's had a huge impact on my life, so I'm pretty excited to have this conversation with you. So. I told the listeners a little bit about what F3 is. I want to hear from you. Why do you think it's so successful? Gym owners uh, around the country would love to have this kind of engagement and retention that F3 has. I mean, you know, F3 doesn't offer showers, uh, no free smoothies for members. Uh, you don't have clean locker rooms. You don't have offer a free personal trainer for your first week. There's no cute girls walking around in yoga pants. And you make us go out and, and work out. Well, you don't make us. We choose to go out and work out right. in rain or, or 10 inches of snow. Right. Why does it work? Well, I, I think the last couple of things you named are probably the, the reason why it works is that guys choose to do it. And they choose to do it because they've generally tried a lot of other things. So we get a lot of guys come to F3 because the gym uh, hasn't worked out for them. They've paid for Y memberships for years. And, uh, you know, they don't really go to them. You know, we think of these guys as resolutionaries, you know, at the end of every year, they make a resolution, uh, you know, they're going to get in shape and it usually lasts about January 15th and then they're back to where they were. Main reason uh, we think being that they don't have at the Y, you're not going to encounter another guy who cares that you're there. Whereas when you come to an F3 workout, whether it's on January 1st or whether it's on June 1st, the first thing you're going to encounter are a bunch of guys who have already been working out together. They've already got a group, which is men in close proximity who already built those bonds. And they're open and welcome to a new guy coming. I hope that was your experience. That's the ethic we've yeah. tried to pass on. Absolutely. Is that when, when someone shows up, he's a FNG, which is a friendly new guy. And, uh, you know, we start talking to him immediately. He doesn't have to wait around and see if someone's going to talk to him. He's, that's why we're there. I mean, we're there to grow, to help new guys get integrated into the group as quickly as possible. So the hope is that a guy shows up and it's the same for every man. You know, you show up and you're standing there, boy, am I going to be accepted? You know, what's this all new, all this lingo, all these guys know each other. And then a couple of guys will start talking to him. Hey man, where are you from? Assumption is that usually the guy's from a different town or a different every place, you know? And he says, well, actually this is my first time. And immediately they're going to start asking him questions. That's, that's the ethic that we have. That's our model. So I think that's one reason is it's really easy to get into. And of course it's free, which, you know, if a gym owner asks me, you know, what can I do to replicate your success? And I say, well, we don't charge. How would that work for you? Probably not that well. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's really not a fair comparison uh, to compare F3 to gyms on that level since sure. uh, all F3 workouts are always free of charge. So that, there's that. It was also something else you said was the end of it was like, we, you make us go outside and it's, you know, it's hard, it's, it's dark, it's cold. 
we're rolling around in parking lots, you know, and there's a little bit of danger to it. And as it turns out, that's part of the attraction. You know, maybe in the heart of men beats this thing where we don't want things to be easy and don't want things to be spoon fed to us and don't want this six to eight week easy training plan to get back in shape. We actually want to earn it. And you have this feeling that you are earning it in the winter in most places in F3. It's cold. It's wet. It's uh, dark. The sun won't come up during the workout. And you really feel like you're part of something, you know, that's that hardship. So strong bonds are built through hardship. Uh, that bonds men together. I was in the military before I went to law school and before I started F3. And I learned that. That was a quick way to build a brotherhood. So that's why we think we have great recidivism. You know, guys, they come out, they come back. We don't have any statistics, but we think it's pretty strong. So men come for the workout. That's the magnet, as we say. They stay for the fellowship because they immediately make friends, and we call that the glue of F3. And then the third F is what we call faith or purpose, really. And that's the dynamite of F3. That's what really makes it explode and grow. So that's why we think it works. And there's a real need for this. Tell us about sad clown syndrome. Yeah, so this kind of comes from the actually the first episode of The Sopranos. That a few of us, we started this out, had watched, and we were big Sopranos fans. And Tony's getting interviewed or is getting uh, treated by Dr. Melfi his first session, and she's asking him questions, and she realizes she's, her patient is, is a gangster. She's a psychiatrist, and he's having problems uh, passing out. And he's trying to cure that because, obviously, for a, a mafioso, that's not a very good thing. And she asked him a kind of logical question. She said, how do you reconcile this life of a, as a gangster? How do you reconcile that with the fact that you're a father and a husband and, and all these things? It's, it's probably the heart of what his malady is, is he can't reconcile those things. You know, it's a, it's too much cognitive dissonance for him really for his brain to deal with, although he doesn't realize it. But he misinterprets the question uh, and says, yeah, he goes, Everybody makes me, you know, be happy on the outside, even though, no matter how I feel on the inside. I got to do that for everybody else, you know. I got to play the sad clown. And that's just stuck in my head in that show. And I was, my co-founder, OBT, here in Charlotte, we used to talk about that and uh, how funny it was that they captured that idea, the malady of the modern man, right? I mean, you have all these things in your life if you've been to college and you're holding down a decent job and you're making some money, maybe your job isn't very meaningful, but you, you have one, right? You have enough money to support your family. You got a wife, you got kids, you got a house, you have lots of things. But for some reason, you feel unfulfilled. Now, you don't want to tell anybody that. So you are happy on the outside, even though on the inside, something's missing. And uh, we just got to call in that sad clown syndrome based on that episode of Sopranos and that uh, revelation that he made and saying that prior to coming to F3, many of us feel that way. We don't know quite what's missing. I think the way we put it in Free to Lead in the book we ended up writing about it was that it's like you pack for a journey, you know, a business trip, and you think you have everything, but you have this nagging feeling that you forgot something, you know, but you can't think of what it is. It just never kind of goes away. What we diagnosed that as this sad clown syndrome that the remedy for it was to become consistently fit. And that's the first F, fitness. Have bonds of friendship, close male friendship. And finally, have some faith, the third F, which is just not any particular denomination or even any particular religion, just a belief in something outside yourself, that there's a greater purpose and maybe a greater power out there that's driving things that you fit into that rather than you are the king of that. Because it can kind of wear a man out to think he's running the world, right? 
So those are the three things that we said, uh, the holes in the male heart, you know, the inconsistent fitness, keep gaining and losing the same weight all the time, the lack of true meaningful male friendship and the lack of, of purpose, that's sad clown syndrome. And F3 provides the, the three things you need to fight that off. So that's what we think the solution is. Dave, you said in the heart of men, maybe we don't want things to be easy. I mean, everything we do in this world, I mean, we get new technology, we get new phones, we get new cool technology in our cars. We got a grocery store. We don't have to go hunt and kill. We don't have to gather. We just go to the grocery store. I mean, don't we want things to be really easy? Hasn't that been everything that we work so hard for is to make things easier? How do you reconcile that with, with what you said in the heart of men? Maybe we don't want things to be easy. Yeah, I think it's superficially we think we do. In fact, I think we want to make things easier for other people. I mean, we, we don't want our wife to have to uh, carry the groceries in, in the rain, so we build a garage. You know, I mean, we don't want our kids to go to a dangerous school, so we move to a better neighborhood. I mean, we do things for other people in our lives to make them safer and, and in a way easier and to provide for them. But at the same time, in our hearts as men, we're built to be uh, warriors, really. We're built to defend and to fight and to and the band together, there's something atavistic there in, in the man's heart that modern life doesn't really provide for. I mean, the more conveniences we have and the more safety we have, sometimes the more unfulfilled we feel. I mean, there's no, there's no existential risk. You know, we're out, not out in the frontier. There's not really any job risk if you think about it. I mean, we have unemployment insurance and things that will back us up if we lose our jobs. I mean, it just, it's the first time in history that the very basics on Maslow's hierarchy are pretty much provided across the board. I mean, nobody's really worried about where they're going to get their next meal. If anything, we've gotten too good at delivering food. Uh, I mean, if a time traveler from as late as 1870 showed up at your house and said, you know, tell me what the world is like, you know, and he said, well, very few of us work in the fields. He's like, wow, that'd be interesting. How do you get your food? Well, let's take a look. And he got in your car. That'd be amazing. Drove to McDonald's and threw five bucks through the window and got 1,500 calories. He would think that was amazing, right? Yeah. I mean, that's as easy. You can get 1,500 calories for $5. It was How much is $5? I'm like, well, it's about a minute of work, actually. So for a minute of work, you can get 1,500 calories. Yeah, but he'd look around and see a lot of fat, unhappy people, right? I mean, maybe that's not, that's not healthy to have it so easy and cheap to get so much food in abundance Maybe that's not really good for us, but we're not going to be able to stuff that genie back in the bottle. We're never going to go back to being agrarian farmers. I mean, we are the way we are. So we have to find some other way then, you know, to fight that battle, to figure out how to live in a way that's meaningful. And I think that that's probably been the challenge to the human condition for the last 60 or 70 years. So how did this start? How did F3 start? Take us to the beginning and what you were feeling that caused you, and maybe you've already described some of those feelings, that caused you to say, hey man, to OBT, like, hey, let's, let's go work out down to school on Saturday. So it really goes back for me personally, you know, I was in the army, I was at Fort Bragg and I was in a special forces battalion and I got out of the army on a Friday in uh, August of 1994, left Fort Bragg, left the Army, and on Monday, I was at Wake Forest Law School. So in two days, I went from the to one environment that was completely different to another environment. 
you know, I was 30 years old and thought of myself as a warrior and uh, I was in really good shape. And I just assumed that all those things were me. You know, that was, that was who I was. It was ingrained in me. And when I found out that it wasn't so, and the most obvious way was by Christmas, I had gained about 40 pounds. It was wow. incredible if you think about it. Yeah. And I found out that I wasn't like a computer with a hard drive. I was like a, a monitor that had been unhooked from the internet. You know, I was like, there was nothing in there, you know? And uh, I realized that all this self-discipline I thought I had and drive and everything was really because I was in a leadership culture for Bragg, a culture where everybody was driven and purposeful all the time. We always had a mission. You know, you were responsible for men and you're responsible to men. And there was structure in that. And I'll tell you, law school is not that environment, man. It's a totally different environment. I really, I was, a, I was adrift. To be honest, I found that I could lose that 40 pounds if I went on a draconian diet. I would go to the gym and just do all these things. And then I'd kind of gain it back again and back and forth and back and forth. And that lasted 15 years. And I came to call that Pogo 40 because I was up and I was down. And, uh, you know, when I was in my draconian phase, I was really insufferable because I was hungry, (laughs) but I was driven, you know. And then when I was on the other side of it going down, I was in several because I was unhappy. I knew I was getting fat again. I didn't want to admit it to myself. So I was never really joyful. You know, I came to realize at some point that my fitness was really at the heart of my ability to be joyful. I know that shouldn't be that way, right? I mean, you wouldn't think it's that way, but I found that it was for me, that all these other aspects of my life, my, my marriage and my children and my career as a lawyer all suffered. The worst shape I was in, the worst father, husband, lawyer I would be. I mean, it kind of started with what I was putting in my mouth and my ability to control it and my level of fitness. That was elemental. So in 2009, I was sitting by the community pool in my neighborhood. I weighed about 220 pounds. My kids were jumping around in the pool and I I was just, you know, sitting there eating pool pizza. And I remember looking down and I had a big pizza pie crust stuck in my belly button. I remember looking at that and going, jeez. I'm pathetic. And I see this guy in my neighborhood about my age. He's just ripped, just looks great walking around. And later on, I said he was doing a poolside poles down. He's walking up to all the the women and going, ladies, how you doing? How you doing? (laughs) He gets around to me and I say, man, you look great. What do you do? He tells me about this men's workout group he he goes to called the Campos, which turns out to be Spanish for field. Oh, I didn't know it at the time. He describes it to me. And uh, I was like, wow. This is August of 09. I was like, gee whiz, that's really cool. I mean, can anybody go to this? Yeah, well, you got to have somebody invite you. And I said, well, I mean, would you take me? And he said, I'll take you, but uh, you need to get in shape first. And he walks off. Man, I was just burnt <laughs> up by that. This is a special forces guy. He said this too. No, yeah. Yeah, yeah you, I was. Yeah. yeah. Here's this guy who was a, uh, I forget what his job was. I mean, he was some kind of consultant. I'm like, Oh man, it just busted my right in the pride button. But not so much that I didn't reach down and pull that pizza crumb out and still eat it. That's how bad I was at that moment. But it triggered me. And this is often the way I was. Something would trigger me. I went to a gym once and I hadn't been for a while. And a guy said, Hey man, there used to be a guy who used to work out here who looks a lot like you, but he was a lot thinner. You have a brother. I don't know who he's talking about me, right? I mean, something like that would happen. And I would just just to lose my weight or I'd get to my, what I call my fat pants were my 40 waist, you know, in the back of the closet that I kept back there, you know, that was my, uh, do not cross line, you know, and if they were tight, then I would do something. So anyway, this guy triggered me 
And uh, in about two months, I lost 40 pounds. And I finally called him in October and said, okay, I'm ready to come out. He goes, fine. I went out there and I realized the first day at the camp, it was just a Saturday workout, seven o'clock in the morning in Charlotte. I was like, man, this is what I've been looking for. This was it. It was a peer-led group of middle-aged guys who were out there working out. I mean, I immediately felt it. So I met OBT there. He was one of the other guys who was working out. There's probably 15 guys, but from October of 2009 until about, say, October of 2010, that group doubled in size from about 15 guys to 30 guys. It started to catch on. A lot of guys got invited, and the leader of that group was dubious about that growth. He's like, we're losing the fellowship. So OBT and I offered to go start another workout at the same time at a different location because we just couldn't do anything to control the size. So uh, we decided to do that on one one eleven. so almost 10 years ago. You know, there was no F3. This was just Campos 2 or whatever we called it. And uh, we sent out about 80 emails to guys we knew that we thought might show up. Our hope was we'd get five. And uh, on one 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 eleven, we got 30 hmm. New Year's Day. You know, I was pretty shocked by that. Figured it was, you know, New Year's resolution. But the next week we got 31 or two or whatever. And we never had less than that after that, you know. So my thinking was if we were diligent, we might be able to build that up to 30 guys by the end of the year, maybe 15 guys or whatever. But really by May or June, we had so many guys, we had to split it up. I mean, we just couldn't, you know, we, we got 50 guys, you know, it was just turning into this unmanageable thing. So, you know, we started looking for other guys to split it up and other leaders and nobody wanted to do it. They were like, no, no, you know, they didn't envision themselves as being able to lead the group. That's when OBT and I realized that we had to have a little class, like teach them how to do it, you know, which we did. And then we split up. And then by the end of the year, we had three groups of 25 or so. And we started another group, you know, in 2012. And then somebody's brother-in-law got us to go to Atlanta. Somebody's college roommate got us to go to Raleigh. And we started going to other places and, it, and outpaced our ability to keep up. And we said, well, we need to hand them some materials. So we wrote Free to Lead to explain it. And that's kind of how it happened. So uh, we like to say it was really like leadership on a road 43 feet ahead of the men driving on it. You know, like looking back over our shoulder because we had to keep inventing solutions to good problems. Like we'd get too many guys or, you know, we'd say, okay, we need to invent a solution for that, you know, or we don't know how to train these guys. Okay, we need a Q school to teach them how to do it. You know, we need the book. We need this. We need that. You know, and this 43 foot idea of leadership became really the, the centerpiece of how we lead in F3, which is to just stay just ahead enough of the guys that you're able to keep building the road so they can drive on it. But that's sustained our growth for the last 10 years. And now we're, I don't know, 39 states or something like that. And we think 30,000 men, we don't really know because we don't keep a any kind of census, we just keep track of the number of workouts we have, which I think is 2,500 or something like that. So pretty good growth. Pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, absolutely incredible. And where I live in Charlottesville, Virginia, we have, I think, approaching 20 workouts right now. And there's just amazing, yeah. so many people are into this and have found so much value. And what's interesting is not the fitness, but it's the life transformation. It absolutely has yeah. transformed people's lives. I mean, I'm talking transformed their lives, saved marriages, changed people's work habits, changed their relationship with their kids because 
for the listener, it, it always ends in something called a circle of trust and, and where the, the guy who leads it, the Q, has to share. It's either a prayer or a story, a quote, um, something to ponder and something to think about and some kind of lesson to walk away with beyond just the workout. And, and these lessons are they're another level of accountability. And, and a lot of guys are sharing challenges, like deep, dark things that, you know, they haven't probably told their best friends and they're sharing these things. And, and then you hear these people say that you guys say it and you go, you know what? Like we're not all that dissimilar. We're all recovering sad clients. Right. right. Well, and you know, many a time a guy will point out to me, wow, it's like AA. And you know, I, we are very quick to admit when we have borrowed ideas from things that work, that's how we do it. That's how we stay 43 feet ahead, you know, and, and there's a lot of it that's like AA, you know, in that mm -hmm. sense, because we're all together, right? How does it feel now looking back? And this is, you know, who knows where this is going to go. You didn't sure, know it was right. going to get to this point, but looking back, you started that one workout on 1-1-2011. One, one, and now here you are with thousands of workouts across the country, tens of thousands of men impacted, and you have a right. sister organization, FIA. How does it feel knowing that you've impacted so many lives? I and mean, what does it feel like for you right now, knowing that this has grown to the level it is? Well, it's a great responsibility, number one. And uh, to feel that this thing that I'm the nominal leader of because our leadership structure is very decentralized and designed exactly to be that way. And in the same way AA is right. But it's a great responsibility to be at least a figurehead leader of the organization. So I feel that responsibility very deeply. On the other hand, I'll push on you just a little bit. It's like that I impacted those lives. I impacted a few lives around me because those are the guys I was in proximity with. So Many of those guys I'm still with, you know, they are leaders now in the group with me and some of them I see all the time, some I don't, but I impacted a kind of small group of guys who in turn impacted small groups of guys who in turn impacted small groups of guys. But, you know, I already told the story. I was impacted by, you know, the guy who we call it the emotional headlock got me out at the campus. And then I was impacted by the guys there, but I was also impacted by the men who have come alongside me in different ways in my faith walk. Older lawyers have taught me how to practice law. I've been impacted by the officers that I was served under when I was in the army. So it's really, I think of that, it was the old Brett commercial, you know, I tried to shampoo and I told two friends and they told two friends and they, remember that commercial? Yeah. And it just kind of proliferates out. That's how I feel when I look at it. And I think, okay, I was a, a subservient and accurate repeater of what was placed inside me. You know, if like if I've served the organization, it's in having been able to re faithfully record what I saw happening. I didn't really start it. I didn't start it. Don't need to say really. I did not start it. I was good at recording it. I was good at giving things names, you know. So the guy who came up with the COT, for instance, threw that out one day very early on in F3 because we didn't have that. And he's like, we ought to get in a circle and we ought to go around the circle and say each other's name and age so everybody knows you know, we can end it with that. And then we can say a prayer, tell a story, whatever, you know. And OBT is funny, who would have, by hardwiring would have been more open to that kind of idea, said, that's kind of kumbaya. I don't really like it. But I liked it because I was trying to write these back last and I couldn't remember anybody's name. And I was like, oh, that'd give me an opportunity to kind of figure it out, right? So I was like, okay, let's try that. And the back blast for the listener is basically the review 
or the yeah, write up right. post you know the after action report of the of the workout that you post right and, exactly yeah and we want to put the names in there and i was like oh if you go around a circle then i could remember the names right so we did it a couple times and guys just loved it right from the start the the guy whose idea was mighty mighty albate he just hit it right on the head and why by the way the that that's the name of the guy but that's his f3 name so most of us only know each other by our f3 names yeah that's right so yeah exactly so he uh it was his idea. And at the time, I thought it was worth a shot. But we tried it. It worked great. Guys loved it. And so I'm like, boom. And then all I did was say, call it Circle of Trust, C-O-T. I mean, I get credit for calling it that, I guess. Or maybe I don't even remember. Maybe somebody else called it. I mean, that's all I really have ever done is observe, record, and pass on. Like I'm a scribe or something, you know, I'm like just watching it, you know, and what we don't have in F3 is pride of ownership. You know, we have a bunch of guys that you see something that works, boom, give it away. If it works for you, give it away. If somebody has an idea, try it. If it works, great. Keep doing it. If it doesn't work, don't worry about it, right? doesn't matter where the idea comes from. doesn't matter who had it. Give credit where credit's due and move on. And that's where we've been pretty successful with that. F3 aside, what can leaders learn about this? I mean, the, li- the person who's listening, who's in a leadership role, and I don't care if that leadership role is in their family, or, or maybe it's in a classroom as a teacher, or maybe leading a company or a mid-level manager, whatever it is, are there lessons that leaders can learn from you know, the growth of, growth of the organization or the decentralized leadership or how you, you accept ideas and you try them and, and sometimes they work, sometimes they fail? Sure. Yeah. And, uh, we got the idea of this model from a book called Starfish Star and the Spider. I can't not remember the author's names, but OBT and I both read it. And we're like, ah, okay. We don't have any money and we don't have any structure. So we don't have any choice but to grow this organization in a very decentralized way. And the idea was that you have a starfish organization where the appendages are where all the action is, right? And a starfish is unique amongst creatures in that if you cut an appendage off, it grows into another starfish. And where you cut it off, it grows another appendage. So that's what we wanted to be. Whereas a spider, if you hit, cut the head off, it dies, right? So I said, first of all, we need to have an organization that isn't an organization with leaders. It's an organization of leaders, which is a different thing. Like every man's expected to lead. That's why in a workout, you show up as an FNG and you work out three, four, five times. Hopefully it's pretty quick. I hope with your group, because this is what we try to extol is you say, okay, you've been here five times, you lead. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know how to lead. Right, that's why you're here. I mean, that's what we do, right? We learn how to lead. So we want to pass the positive habits of leadership, what those are as quickly as we can to guys and get them leading really quickly so that they can learn it very quickly. And so that's one thing I would say to, if you had an organization, and you're like, man, we're suffering. We don't have enough leaders. Nobody's taking individual initiative. We got a lot of rules and signs. And I always say, the more rules and signs you have, the less leaders you have, because those two things are mutually exclusive. You know, we got five core principles in F3, no rules, very few signs, you know, for that very reason, because every man's a leader, right? Uh, so you got to get men leading. And I would say that the sooner you do that, passing those positive habits of leadership on, the more quickly you can grow into a starfishy organization of leaders. That's, that's one thing I would say. Another thing I would say is that we're unique in is that we practice shared leadership. You know, it's not a chart with this guy's on top and then these bars it's 
groups of what we call shared leadership teams that are responsible for something. So F3 shared leadership team is actually only five guys, you know, and within that group, we all have responsibilities, primary responsibilities, but we do it together. And uh, that's a, a leadership model that works really well. I could walk away tomorrow and we would, I should, we certainly wouldn't go down. We'd probably go up because the next guy would have ideas that, you know, that, that I wouldn't have, certainly. So that shared leadership team is another thing we, I would say to organizations. If you're suffering from ineffective leadership, it might be because all the leadership authority and juice and energy is all centered in one guy, right? That CEO, the president, you know, uh, whatever that is, instead of having it shared amongst a shared leadership team, a small group of people who trust each other, who are accelerating at the same basic pace, you know, their, their skills are mutual and they believe in the same things. Because if you have that, you have this powerful leadership element that is much, much stronger than the individual strengths of its individuals. I mean, it, it's grouping all that energy together and it's far more effective. And those would be the two things I would say that we do that are very different than most yeah. organizations that I encounter. Great lessons. For the person listening, you know, men and women, and they don't have F3. Maybe they don't have F3 in their town. By the way, you can go to f3nation.com, find out if there's a workout in your town. But there's a lot of towns, most towns in America don't have F3. What do you say to that person who wants to create this, wants to experience the benefits? They hear this and they say, I want this. I know I need this. I know I have sad clown syndrome. Right. What do they do? So you have to get on the website. You can surf around there and find plugging this out. You know, I want F3 in my town. So we have had a variety of methodologies to plant new workouts. So F3's mission is to plant serve and grow men's small workout groups in order to invigorate male community leadership. That's our mission. So getting workouts started in various locations is paramount to us. And we started with, you know, metropolitan areas, bigger metropolitan areas, and we sent teams in there to work with the guys that we found on the ground. That was one way. We called that leap. That was to get us forward as fast as we can. And we're pretty much done with that. The second model we used is what we call concentric growth. And that was to take places where a workout already existed. So I'm going to guess that Charlottesville was planted by Richmond. That's right. I know we didn't leap it, right? So no, that's right. We, yeah, we leaped Richmond, started Richmond. In fact, I think OBT did that personally because he has family connections there. And then once we get a workout established through a leap, we would say, all right, now you guys need to go start you know, workouts around your surrounding area and, that, and grow concentrically like that. Another way we do it is mustard seed, what we call mustard seeds. And that's when a guy, let's say a guy from Charlottesville finds himself moving to Tucson, Arizona, and he gets out there and he's like, man, I miss F3. Now he knows how to do it because he was doing it in Charlottesville. That mustard seed uh, will also help that guy grow a workout in any way we can. And then, you know, there's still workouts where guys, you know, guy raises his hand. He's, you know, uh, somewhere where there's no workout. There's no guy's ever done it. He wants to start it. And we'll do whatever we can virtually hook them up with, you know, mentors and in other places, send guys in, you know, we raise money to do that very thing. So if you get on that website and surf around, you'll find the right place to connect and to, to ask for help. I think it directs you to Slack or something. So we've got a guy who's the, in charge of that. Yeah. So for the listeners, if you don't have it in your town, reach out, you can reach out to me. I can connect you to, to the right person, whether at F3, you know, down, down where you're at, Dave, or, or elsewhere. So we can help you get one started. 
Dave, you know, this has been real successful. Can you tell me about a time when you failed? I mean, you've obviously, you're, you're a lawyer, uh, you're successful at what you do. You started this successful organization in F3, uh, you're special forces. Can you tell us about a time when you failed and when you had to work through that self-doubt that comes from failure? Yeah, I'm going to say, because uh, I got a million stories. In fact, I, I'm writing a book right now for litigators that I call that L-source, you know, litigation whatever. And uh, I call them parables of failure because that's how you actually teach lawyers to be litigators. You say, uh, here's the situation I was in and I shouldn't have done it. And this is what I did. And this is what happened. I mean, I'm, I know that sounds wacky, but that's basically how you teach a guy how to litigate. You use parables of failure. Uh, so I got a million parables of failure. Most of them are, you know, micro in nature, you know, or relatively small. I'd say the most significant failure in my life is my first marriage failed. And my first marriage failed because I was selfish. You know, I viewed marriage like a partnership or a, say contractually, to use a, a lawyer way of looking at it, that it was supported by due consideration. In other words, not being considerate, but by legal consideration. You know, in other words, I provide something or I abstain from a right that's mine to take, but I abstain from taking it. And you do the same. That's the relationship. That's the way I viewed marriage. So I would say, you know, my wife's my best friend and we meet on the 50-yard line and all this stuff. When my marriage failed and I look back at it, I realized that that's not what a marriage is at all. Marriage is the transformational relationship in a man's life. It's what teaches him to set aside what he's learned as a boy and stop thinking of himself in terms of me and starts thinking of himself in terms of us, right? It transforms him. And to be transformed, he has to see it as a covenant, right? It's a unilateral promise, which is not enforceable in the law, but it's enforceable between a husband and wife. You know, you say, I will be your husband. What that means is there is no 50-yard line. You know, you're driving down in the red zone all the time, right? There's no place that you're meeting. Your wife's not your best friend because that's an insult to her. I mean, you get a best friend, maybe hopefully, but your wife is far above that. And what you owe her is far more than that. And the point of that relationship is far more important than that. So seeing that limitless set of really obligations that transform themselves into blessings the longer you're married, seeing a marriage is that way is why a marriage is valuable in the life of a man and how it changes them. And in my immaturity, in my youth, I didn't see a marriage that way. I looked at life the way kind of what we call an Oprah bomb would be like, in, you know, a sage sounding bromide that actually does not provide any actual meat that helps you. So a typical Oprah bomb for us is uh, work-life balance, right? I'm going to put the work on this side and I'm going to balance that with my wife and my life and all these things on that side. I'm like, that is such a worthless way to look at it because all these relationships are dynamic, right? They're not static. My work doesn't weigh this. My kids don't weigh that. You know, some days my kids need me. 100% of me, right? Some days you don't. Someday my wife needs me 100% of me. Someday I'm in a trial and I can't be there for my family in those days, right? There's no balance between any of those things. It's much better, much better images, you know, plate spinning, you know, on, you know, on pull cues, you know, and running down and keeping, keeping all the plates spinning. But the best analogy we've come up with that, for that in F3, and it goes to what my parable of failure as a marriage is to look at your relationships in life as an archery target at the center of which is your wife. And the quiver on your back, those arrows are your time and resources. And most of those arrows, and you don't know how many you got. I mean, you know, that's 
for the the uh, creator to know. But most of those arrows need to be in the bullseye, and that's your relationship with your wife. If that relationship fails or is not healthy, all the other relationships will collapse on it. I mean, I never wanted to see it that way, right? I wanted to say, well, no, I mean, I'm, my, all my all these things I am as a man are boxes, and I can have a failed marriage and a bad box here, but still be a good lawyer or still be a good friend. I found I couldn't do those things. Mm. You know, if my if my relationship with my wife is not accelerating, meaning it's stronger today than it was yesterday, that brings down the rest of the relationships. And and thinking of it in those terms has made it far easier for me to do a very difficult thing, which is to be a good husband, you know, to be the kind of husband that I would hope my daughters marry. I don't know if I would know these things, but for having failed at my first marriage and my first marriage, I wasn't a believer and I was, you know, 30 years old and, you know, there's lots of excuses I could give myself, but that's pointless. I failed. I approached it in a selfish and immature way, like I had a roommate. And then we had this list of duties that we divided, you know, and as long as you did yours, I would do mine. But if you don't do yours, I'm not going to do mine. And uh, that was a failure. And uh, when I talk to young men uh, now who, you know, if I'm mentoring them and they ask me about marriage or if they're considering marriage and I ask them, tell me what you, your view of marriage. And they basically spit back at me what I thought it was. And I say, man, that ain't it. And if you go into it with that, it's going to fail. So let me tell you a story. So I have that parable of failure to tell them. Because I believe that the marital relationship, and that's what we call the M, because it's the most important relationship. Because I believe that now, through failure, having learned that, I feel equipped to be able to transfer that positive habit to younger men. And I don't think I would have known it as well. I wish I could have done it right the first time, but that's not the way it worked out. And Instead of wallowing in that, I've chosen to try to use that as best I can to be helpful to other men and, of course, to be a better husband for my own wife now, and I hope I am. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. And for the listener, I want you to think about the same thing. So instead of wallowing in that, that failure that you've experienced or are experiencing right now, how can you use that to impact other people? How can you use that to learn from and move forward in your own lives? Yeah, it's elemental. We, it's part of F3's leadership development process. You know, so we say that you have to have schooling, right? Somewhere in, you have to have somebody explain what leadership is, whiteboard it for you. You know, I was in the army. I got great leadership training. You have to be apprenticed by uh, usually an older skilled leader, just the way uh, a shoemaker is apprenticed to learn it. You have to have an opportunity to lead, to actually be leadership. And then you have to fail. So you have to, you have to fail and you have to find out, put it into practice for yourself. Because if you succeed, that's great but that might have been just luck or it doesn't eliminate those things that don't work. It's truly through failure, which Neff we define as an unwanted outcome that builds a leadership foundation. You know, uh, you go, wow, that doesn't work, man. You know, that, that won't work. And over the years, I've had so many leadership failures, just endless numbers, but each one of them has provided me with a parable that I can use to build other men's foundations and help them, you know, build them. And we say in F3 that, you keep repeating this cycle over and over again, schooling, right? Apprenticeship, right? Opportunity and failure, right? You keep kind of doing that. That's how you become a better leader and constantly reinforcing that. And hopefully at the same time you're going through it, you're also providing the same opportunities for younger men who are learning how to lead um, because that's what we think the best way to do it is. So failure is just absolutely necessary and elemental to that. Yeah. Took the words out of my mouth. 
Dave, thank you so much for making time My to come pleasure. on the show. That was uh, incredible. I've been, I've, I read the book Free to Lead a couple of years ago. I've been part of F3 for a couple of years now. Uh, I learned so much through that ex- those experiences, but, but learned so much more today. So appreciate you making time for this. Oh, great. Thank you. Honored. Thank you. Tell the listener how they can find you, follow you, uh, website, et cetera. Yeah, you know, I do most of my communication on Twitter, you know, so at DreadCNC is my Twitter handle. D-R-E-D-D, that's my F3 name, Dread, D-R-E-D-D-C-N-C. That's just Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, I put out a lot of information about F3 through that. And But through that, you'd also find F3 Nation and all the other. We, Our main, probably our main communication platform is Twitter right now. Excellent. And for the listener, I will, of course, have that, uh, all those links in the action plan. Just go to jimharshawjr.com slash action, and you can just download the PDF action plan from this episode. Dave, thanks so much for making time to come on the show. I can't wait to work out with you one day. Yeah, man. I'll get up next time I'm that way. I'm definitely going to head out to Charlottesville. Never been there. So I'd love yeah, to go there. We'll get you up here and, uh, and I'll get down there. So thank you again. And for the listener, as always, until next time, take the time to get clear on your goals and embrace failure as a stepping stone on your path to success. Don't forget about what I talked about before the interview. If you want to find balance, clarity, and focus, Take the next step and go to jimharshawjr.com slash apply. Space on my calendar is very limited, so claim your spot now, jimharshawjr.com slash apply. Or just send me a text message to 571-210-5450. Again, that's 571-210-5450.